Hey, welcome to Life in the Leadership Lane. I'm your host, Bruce Waller, where I'm getting to talk to leaders that are making a difference in the workplace and in our community. What do they do to get started and what are they doing to stay there, to stay in that leadership lane? And today, I'm getting to talk to another special guest. Her name is Angela Deputy. She is the Chief Human Resources Officer at Heartland Veterinary Partners, and I am so excited to have you on the show. How are you doing, Angela? I'm doing great. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me, Bruce. I'm so excited to have you here, too. And I want to give a real quick shout out, a mutual friend of ours, Jill Cole, who's the uh, CHRO at Mid-Atlantic Dental Partners, episode 45. Uh, she actually introduced <laughs> us, so I'm so grateful for her to introduce us. She did. She's fantastic. So I'm, I'm glad to be here. That's one of the things I've really enjoyed about the podcast is um, not just having the interviews and having these purposeful conversations, but the connections are just absolutely yeah. amazing. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to talk about networking. We're going to talk about leadership development. It's going to be a great show. I want to start, though. I would love to hear you share just a brief highlight of Heartland Veterinary Partners and how you serve your customers. Yeah, sounds great. So uh, Heartland Veterinary Partners is a veterinary service organization. And at the core, we are essentially here to make the lives of veterinarians easier. You know, you think about your, your small vets that have been in their communities for years and years um, who have established independent practices and connections within the communities who are in some cases uh, getting ready to, uh, to move on with retirement and they want to phase out in a easier way, uh, more comfortable way. So they will sell their practice to, Heart uh, to Heartland. Um, and our goal is to help manage a lot of the, the backend stuff for them as they ease their way into retirement. In some cases, uh, we'll purchase practices and there's no plans for retirement and they'd like to to remain with Heartland, which is always very exciting. We want that too. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, a veterinarian's job is is incredibly difficult. And I'm I'm not sure I I fully understood that coming into this organization. Uh, they have one of the most challenging jobs in any industry that I've that I've been in. And uh, we are here to to help make it just a little bit easier for them uh, handling some of their back end stuff. So, yeah, I love that. I don't think I've had anybody on yet from a veterinary uh, organization, and I know we have a lot of pet lovers out there. I can't even imagine. We actually, <laughs> uh, anytime we take our dog in, I mean, we're so like thankful uh, for yeah. those communities that 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 help us with our pets. Hey, I, I'm, man, I'm ready to really uh, dive in, but I want to, I want to start the show. Um, I love to hear about the story of our guests and I want to hear the Angela deputy story. How did you, uh, how did you, you know, where'd you grow up and how in the world did you get into leadership in particular serving HR? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, it's funny, you sent some of this stuff over for me to think about uh, before this, this podcast. And I thought, gosh, nobody ever has really asked me to tell my story like that. Um, and I thought, what the hell is my story? <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I grew up in Jersey, New Jersey, a small late town. I grew up in the area, uh, you know, we call it the Garden State for a reason. And uh, I grew up in that area up in uh, northern New Jersey, a small town called Hopacom. And um, <clears throat> ended up uh, doing my undergrad 
at Ball State University in Muncie, Indiana. Um, and it was, I was a psychology, sociology, criminal justice, uh, psychology major, criminal justice, sociology minor. And I really thought I was going to go into some sort of criminal psychology at the time. And uh, my senior year, I took a, uh, a, a industrial organization course, psychology course. And I, I loved it. It was fascinating to me how data could be used to help motivate teams or inform teams. What I really valued about it was the, the way it showed uh, that organizations are systems and everything's interconnected. And something about the psychology of that was very fascinating to me. And at the time, it wasn't huge in organizations to invest in OD departments. You know, this was like, you know, mid, you know, early 90s. You know, it wasn't that that the HR business partner hadn't even been really introduced to, to organizations at that time. So they said the closest you can probably come to it if you're not going to go work for a consulting firm somewhere is to, to be in HR. So I said, I want to be in HR. I want to be in HR. That was kind of my thing. Um, and I bartended. I was thinking about this this morning, too, based on this question, because I thought, where was another connection for me? So I bartended my way through undergrad, which was awesome. And uh, and uh, I had I was building training modules for the waitress, the, the wait staff there at the bar. It was like my natural for some reason. I just I wanted to make sure that we had process and procedure and that people were fully trained and developed. And so even at that point, I, you know, I was I had this bend towards, you know, helping people and teaching people and developing people. And so that's how I started to lean into it. So I, I um, first job was with Annister International out of out of undergrad. And I started as a as a ops person. I was working in a warehouse, you know you know, and uh, <laughs> answering phones, you know, uh, eventually moved into sales for them. And Anister didn't have a huge uh, HR department, but what they did have uh, was a massive learning and development department. Uh, Julie Anister, who led learning and development for them at the time, I thought she would, I mean, at the time she was pretty cutting edge. Like this was before internet, you know what I mean? This was before virtual learning. Um, you know, everything was really classroom and, and Julie had this whole, uh, this whole curriculum set up for Annister salespeople uh, that was, that was really robust and, and great. And so uh, I got, you know, my entry into human resources at Annister through learning and development, grit, instructional design and, and facilitation. I value that, that time and operations and that sort of, you know, you'll hear probably later as we talk has always been at the core of what I've done. I, I, I didn't grow up in HR. I grew up in ops, right? That's where I started my career. Um, so I left Annister. We moved to Michigan. And um, we were living in Philly when I was with Annister. We moved to Michigan. I got married somewhere in there to uh, my brilliant husband, Doug. And when we moved to Michigan, I joined Volkswagen of America. Started with them doing... Uh, uh, online learning instructional design, which was cool. I'm glad I did that for a while. But that's eventually where I moved into org development. I had a just an incredible uh, leader there, and she taught me all about practical org development and the importance of custom intervention and custom design to meet teams where they are. 
Um, and so I spent about five years there. I had both my boys there. I always say I was in Michigan to get my youngest son skates. He's a, he's a hockey player. And that's, I swear that's why I did time in Michigan. He was on skates at two and uh, he hasn't taken them off since. So um, that's why I did that time there. And then uh, kids were small. I wanted to be closer to family. So I started looking for jobs in Indiana. My husband's family's in Indiana. Um, and uh, got a job with Roche Diagnostics. We moved down there, did that for a few years, um, led their leadership development and organizational development uh, activities for a while. And then uh, this role with Walgreens popped up and that was just, you know, my Walgreens career lasted for about 10 years. Um, probably the most obviously the most significant because the amount of time I spent but also pretty significant because they moved me around laterally and and you know I moved up a lot as well um, but probably every year and a half to two years they were moving me into something new which was great so I started in in a field talent role for them uh, moved into leadership and learning and development for them had the opportunity to launch Walgreens University with them and then I had the opportunity uh, to move into an HR business partner role. And that for me, like I had said to them, because HR was going through HR transformation, they were starting to build out the HR business partner roles. You know, throughout all my career, I had worked in different organizations where centers of excellence had evolved, some organizations where they hadn't evolved. In the ones where they had evolved, I had a time, I, I, it was difficult for me. I, I've never been really good at, at influencing from afar. <laughs> I've always been much better if I have that seat at the table. It's just easier for me to get to it. I can just cut to the chase and I, I don't have a lot. I have to navigate. I'm, I'm not very tactful like that. Um, and so I knew I was better with a seat at the table, like an HR business partner versus being in a center of excellence. So I'd moved from learning and development. Uh, they gave me an opportunity to get my feet wet in an HR business partner role uh, with supply chain of all places, which uh, my, my head of supply chain best business partner ever. He just let me fall on my face all the time. And he was so forgiving and just the best to learn with. Uh, Ruben Sloan, he's a brilliant, brilliant supply chain leader. And so then they moved me. I led, uh, I led human resources for pretty much every division at Walgreens uh, with the exception. I, I didn't leave pharmacy directly. I, I led field ops overall and didn't leave finance, but we were such close partners. It didn't matter. I did that for a long time, but it, you know, it eventually 10 years, I, I moved around a lot. I wanted to try something new. Aspen Dental reached out to me, just a great culture, really great people, went over there for a bit. Um, and then, uh, and that, that was probably the, the shortest stint I've done in my career was at Aspen. And it wasn't, it wasn't for any other reason other than Heartland, uh, getting called about this Heartland job. And the opportunity to uh, to to learn uh, the CHRO function in just an industry that that truly does make a difference in in so many people's lives uh, in all the right ways, and so it was just an opportunity I couldn't pass up. So that's my story. Uh, two beautiful children, 17 and 18. Uh, I do have to put a plug in for the band. So uh, so my 18 year old is going to be a rock star. He's a drummer 
plays for a band called Axe, A-X and the Hatchet Men, and you can find them on Spotify and Apple Music. Um, <laughs> it's really good stuff. And then uh, my youngest, I told you he's a hockey player and he's a junior and uh, we're starting to look at colleges. So, and my dog's name is Otto. He's a little Shih Tzu and he's a little jerk, but I love him. So. <laughs> And he's also on your LinkedIn profile, I believe, right? He's also on my LinkedIn profile. <laughs> I will, um, I'll definitely put the band, I'll put that uh, that link in the show notes so people can check that out. That sounds very energizing and exciting. Um, wow. You know, one of the things that I really appreciate you sharing was, I mean, you didn't just like start out as a CHRO. You like talked about moving around a lot of different places. As a matter of fact, in one role, you talked about being in ops and actually uh, being taken a sales role, right? And then moving in, yeah. and then you're moving in all these different roles. I'm wondering, and, and I know that you said early on that, man, when you took that course in, in, in organizational development, uh, th that you really, it really, you know, inspired you. But was there a time like when you, like, you knew, you knew that you found your lane, you knew you found your purpose uh, in your career. Was there like a moment for that? Because I mean, you've, I mean, you, I mean, obviously you spent a lot of time at Walgreens, you did some really exciting things there, but like, was there a time where you're like, man, I love, I love what I do. You know, it's funny that you asked, like, I don't know that I ever went, there was like a day that I woke up and I was mm -hmm. like, man, I love what I do. I just always loved what I do. Mm. I don't, I can't think about it any other way. Like I just always loved serving people mm. in organizations and watching teams. That's the thing about this job too. Like, it's not like you get in human resources, you get to check a box or it's not like, somebody is walking over to you and going, man, thank you for influencing me the way you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, there's something, there's something about the sort of background, subtle, you know, impact that I feel like we make in human resources. That's always been very attractive to me and to be able to watch it from afar and to just know, you know, I did that, you know, I helped to influence that, but they're not being a big, you know, well, Angela deputy did this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Like I let, I just always like sort of being in the background and being the partner to somebody or to a team or division or company, being that partner, that thought partner, that support partner, whatever it was, I've just always really enjoyed that. So no, there wasn't a day I woke up and went, man, I'm, and I, I've never said I'm good at this ever. You'll never hear me say that. So, uh, so I've never felt you know, incredibly confident. <laughs> or like you've arrived, or, right? Like exactly. I have arrived, never, I'm here. No, um, I've never you know, felt that way ever. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I mean, I can tell that uh, what you said, like I've always loved serving people, just like when you were, uh, you know, serving in a bar and you're helping people, you know, put together processes and things in place. I just love that. I, I do want to, uh, I do want to talk about because there's a lot of people uh, that are listening. And by the way, if you're listening, you need to get out your pen and your journal because there's going to be some good stuff here. I want to talk <laughs> about building teams and because that's really a strength of yours. But uh, one of the things that you said, and I, I wrote this down, and I've always wondered, uh, you know, is this, is this a myth? Is this a seat at the table? You mentioned earlier that you wanted a seat at the table. Uh, talk about that just for a second. Like why 
Why is that important to have that seat at the table? Yeah, I think, I mean, that's where you, that's where you do your influencing and that's where, that's where you can, you can move teams along in a different way. And it's, you know, it's, you can ask a question, you know, just to, to inspire some different thinking. You don't always have to be, you know, the, the knowledge sitting at the table or the one driving what's happening at the table, but simply by asking a question or, asking, you know, if they've considered looking at things another way, it just, that's where you influence change Mm. right there in those discussions, you know, Um, that's where I think it makes a difference. So, and, you know, part of it's style though, too, Bruce, like I, so I, I don't have, that's why it's been so comfortable for me. I don't know that that's always the right place. Just from a style perspective, it's been the right place for me because I'm, I cut to the chase that's my style. I just say it and that's it. And sometimes it lands like a lead balloon, you know, Um, but it's always easier to do that at the table (laughs) than have somebody else do it for you. Yeah. No, it never comes out the way you intend it. No, I love that because I think there's a lot of people that are listening that might be, I don't know, they maybe they're in a manager role or a director role and they're like, Hey, I want to see it at the table. And I want, I want them to hear that. But you know, uh, when you talk about influencing, I mean, you didn't just all of a sudden just start, um, you know, diving into asking the question. I mean, you had to build that relationship first, right? I mean, yeah. you had to real, I mean, yeah. you, had to, you have to get to a point before you can start influence. Would you agree with that? Yeah, you got to build the trust, right? But when you have that seat at the table, it doesn't mean you can always or should always speak up, right? Like you, you do have to earn it a little bit, you know? So yeah, no, you got to build that trust first. Love that. Absolutely love that. You know, um, you've talked a little bit about, you know, some of the mentors that have helped you along the way. I think that's so important. And especially uh, you mentioned, I, I, uh, I didn't write down the name, but you said, he let me follow my face. <laughs> I love Ruben. that. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I have like, I've, <laughs> my career has been all about that, uh, but that's how we learn. Um, so I always like to ask a question around, you know, were there some mentors that have really um, helped you? And, and you've mentioned some different things. And then also, do you mentor others today? Yeah, so a couple of things. I mean, mentoring. So I, I decided early on that much of my learning would be out of a classroom <laughs> and outside of a book. Um, so there's so many, you know, in every interaction I have and every leader I've had um, has mentored me and coached me in very different ways. And I've sucked it up for everything I could get from it. So there's there's way too many to mention, honestly, every, every single connection I've had, even the crappiest ones, even the ones that I was going home at night, you know, crying and thinking, what the heck did I get myself into? And they were, you know, so painful. I wanted to rip my skin off. Even those today, I can tell you there were things that I learned from that experience. And I would call that person a mentor in some sort of way. Um, So, yeah. And as far as mentoring others, um, I spent a long time with the Healthcare Business Women's Association in um, in Chicago, and I remember one of the presidents um, had uh, had that she was opening up a, a seminar, and she said it probably best. Um, and she said, "You know, it's incumbent upon us as women 
as we do move further and further in our career to make sure we're bringing the elevator down to bring others up with us. And so I do, especially for women, I, you know, I, it's just natural in my, you know, in my bones to develop others and to teach others who are willing to, to engage in it. Um, but especially, especially women who, who, um, you know, I think, uh, can move quickly up in their careers who are willing to take that sort of mentoring. I, I do do that quite a bit as well. I'm glad you also mentioned about you learned from mentors that weren't that <laughs> they weren't a great <laughs> boss. So they weren't a great leader. I've had a couple of those uh, during my career. And when I look back, I learned so much from them. Uh, number one, yeah. how I didn't want to do things. But number two, I mean, give me some great practical advice I hadn't even thought about after I'd made the decisions that some of the decisions I made. So we can learn from both the good and the bad. There, there's no question about yeah. that. And I love how you talk about, you know, once we go up in the elevator, we got to bring that elevator back down. Uh, that's, mm -hmm. oh man, that's so good. Hey, talk a, let's talk a little bit about leadership. I mean, here we are 2021, we're uh, in the summer and we're navigating through this pandemic, uh, getting through that. I always like to ask this question, um, you know, leadership, I mean, everyone seems to have a different way of defining it. I always like to ask how, you know, if somebody said, you know, what's leadership to you, how, how would you define that? Yeah, I think, uh, again, I only did a lot of thinking about this because you sent me this question and I thought, gosh, I, in my whole career, like you would think I would get that question, but you know, unless I was teaching a course with somebody else's view on what it is, uh, I don't think I ever sat back to think about it myself. And I, I thought about it coming in and I was thinking, you know, it's really, for me, it's to be in service of others mm. in some sort of way. Um, and that's, that's really it. And whether, you know, that service is to influence or to actually do um, or to help them achieve something that they didn't think they could, uh, they could possibly ever in a lifetime achieve, uh, you know, we're in service of them in some sort of way. And that's what I think it is. I love that. I absolutely love that in service. Um, I do want to uh, talk, uh, I want to talk team building here because you, you are uh, very experienced at this and you, and you, uh, I, I'm excited to kind of dive into this. And one of the areas of team building is obviously leadership development. And I, I would like to ask, you know, first of all, what do you like as a CHRO, you, you are responsible for a lot of different things. Number one question for you is, is there an area that you do enjoy most uh, in your role? Yeah, well, so I enjoy it partially because I've been able to flex the muscle more in my, when you look at sort of the broad scope of human resources. Uh, so it's, it's, it, I do have more of a bend towards development, right? Because at my core, at my roots were in training, development, talent management, learning and development, right? So it's, I like it more because it's, uh, it's, I don't have to think as hard about it anymore mm. than if I'm sitting down to re-level a bunch of jobs and do a comp analysis, right? Like I really need to lean into that. Um, so, so I do have a bend towards develop, people development, talent management, leadership development, et cetera. Um, it's also, for me, it's sort of the sexier side of human resources, right? Um, as you look at the full scope of human resources, some of it can get really staunch and compliance and policy related. And with learning and development, if you're doing it right, you really get to see some change there pretty quickly, you know, and it's, 
it's sort of the more exciting to me, the, the sexier side of, of, of what we do. So, you know, and part of that uh, leadership development, you know, uh, when we were talking before offline, we talked a little bit about uh, succession planning. And one of the things you, you mentioned that really caught my attention was uh, we talked a little bit about the nine box theory. And I was wanting to know, <laughs> number one, why don't more organizations have succession planning, like do succession planning? I think they, a lot of companies want to do that, but just don't quite, they're just not purposeful in doing that. Um, but you talked a little bit about the non-box there. I, I would, I'd like to dive into that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, with it, I can really only speak to my experiences with it in the various organizations I was in and where I've seen it used, um, you know, in a way that's much more powerful and where I've seen it sort of cut, cut short. So the nine box in and of itself is pretty cool, right? Because it helps us get more objective about our assessment of our talent and more consistent in our assessment of our talent. It helps us you know, if we know uh, the capabilities we're trying to build in the organization, it helps us talk through those and then position our talent accordingly. So in and of itself, I think it's a good identification tool and a good tool to drive uh, some objectivity and consistency in how we manage talent in an organization. Where it can fall short is if we don't tack the development planning on to the back end of it. Mm. So it just becomes... a a nine box with people's names in it and becomes this sort of mysterious activity that our leadership team is navigating in the background of the organization. But the real power in it is those conversations that we have about our talent, you know, our talent should know what those conversations are. (laughs) Everybody should know what people say about us when we're not in the room, good, bad, or indifferent. And so the outcome of those, that nine box conversation should be a really robust development plan for people. And, and that's where organizations can fall short. If you're just throwing people in that nine box and then you're identifying your successors based off of that, but your talent isn't actually getting something out of it and we're not actually developing people to grow, then it's useless. It doesn't, it's just a piece of paper with names on it. You know, I, uh, I know before the pandemic, uh, one of the uh, uh, leading things that we would talk about is there's a war on talent. And now here we are in summer of 2021, and everyone's talking about we can't find talent. And yeah. I was having a conversation with someone just the other day, and they were talking about the importance of, uh, call it a farming concept, right? Uh, train and develop mm-hmm. your people inside the organization. Mm-hmm. And I just think that like right now, it's more important than ever. So for people that are like listening to the show right now or, or watching this, what are some different things? Like if you were going to just kind of give some insight on, hey, uh, paint a picture on like, what is a good uh, development program look like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, so it, 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 difference between sort of, individual development plans, which are very custom to the individual versus development programs, which you're, uh, I had a, um, a, a British uh, a counterpart at Walgreens, he used to call it sheep dipping. He would say, you know, you're putting everybody through it, it's sheep dipping, right? So I, I sort of distinguish it like that. So, you know, 
at the core, I think everybody should have a good, robust development plan coming out of whatever talent conversations we're having uh, that's focused on their strengths and their development opportunities, but that is a good holistic breakdown of development. So that's focused on, you know, a, a large portion of it is focused on on-the-job learning and stretching them a bit. A good portion of it is focused on mentoring and networking and coaching because, you know, we learn from people. We learn from those relationships, right? And then a much smaller part of it on some sort of formal training and development to help fill some of those gaps. Now, on the sheep dipping side, on the side where you're putting everybody through sort of similar things, I think, um, you know, good, robust program is focused on the moments that matter in that particular um, job lifespan, right? So from the moment they come in, what are they going to need? at sort of that midpoint in their career, what are they going to need? And as they're transitioning out, which is something we think about here a lot at Heartland, what do they need from us from the development perspective, right? Um, so that's that's sort of how I, I distinguish the two. You have sort of curriculum and, and, and these development strategies that you're putting in place, but then, you know, it's also super important to meet team members where they are and ensure that they have individual development plans and not plans that get put on the shelf you know, that are looked at once a year. These are ongoing iterative solutions that, that we're revisiting on a regular basis. I love that. Um, as a matter of fact, I had a HR leader, uh, Erica Rooney, talk about uh, personal growth plans. And one of the questions I always like to ask about that, because I, I, I worked for an organization before where um, there were there was a emphasis put on the importance of personal growth plans. Everybody needed to have one. This particular organization, it was like, you're going to have one or you're not going to be here. Um, but when she talked about it, she talked about, you know what, we're going to, I like what you said, meet people where they are. So we want them to opt into that. We want them to know they have that. Any thoughts around that? Like when someone new comes into, let's say your organization or maybe some of your experience from the past, is that something that they would opt into? Or is that something that you would say, hey, you know, we, we want to grow you and, and, and let's work together on this? Listen, I, you know, I have a firm belief that it always has to be opt-in. You, mm. you can't, you know, it, because people will decide what they want to lean into and what they don't, and we shouldn't, we shouldn't force them. But that's also how potential is assessed. <laughs> you know, we have to think about, you know, how, it, whether or not they, they, they're out there and they're, they're stretching themselves and they're taking advantage of the opportunities and they're flexible and they're adaptable and their willingness to move on, you know? So uh, if it, some people just, they just don't want to, they're just, you know, happy, doing what they're doing in the space that they're in and and they don't want to to learn and develop in the way that we suggest that they need to there's certainly some compliance related things obviously that we have to push on people you know but professional development at the end of the day is, is it needs to it's incumbent upon the organization to ensure that we have the infrastructure and the services in place provide the opportunity that's our responsibility as an organization but it's then the individual's responsibility to decide if they want to take advantage of it and how much they want to put themselves into it yeah that's so good that's so good i, I love that as a matter of fact uh halima mcwilliams uh talked about the importance of opting in I've, he I've heard other hr leaders talk about that as well i think that's so so true hey um 
is personal assessments, is that always part of a development program? Any thoughts around <laughs> it's so personal I feel leadership so strongly assessments? About assessments? I feel so strongly. <laughs> it's funny. I don't, maybe I mentioned this when we first met, and that's why you asked me this question. I think some of them are really incredible, and I think some of them are just crap. And I think, I always say, like, like self-awareness is highly overrated sometimes and I just make a joke out of it because I do get that you have to be self-aware to be a really good leader yeah um but there comes a point where you can just continue to assess the crap out of something and you still land in the same place right and so you know I think what we have to own as leaders is there's no perfect profile mm. <laughs> and assessments are in place to help us understand our profile and and where those things about us are working in our favor and where we may be derailing ourselves along the way. And and then we decide what we want to take ownership in. But, you know, taking 10 different assessments that tell you the same thing in 10 different ways isn't really beneficial. So, I you know, I think about assessments the way I honestly think about everything in, in executive and leadership development. And that's, you know, it's like if you if you're sick, you take certain medicines based on the illness that you have. I, that's how I think about leadership development tools, that it's not a one size fits all. We're going to have a need. And that's how we should go seek either the assessment or the executive coaching or the class or the you know seminar or the book. Uh, based on wherever, you know, whatever our, our particular need is and how significant it is. The more, the more in depth, uh, you know, the need is, uh, the more significant than we, the solution that we should be, we should be bringing forward. That is so good. Hey, you also mentioned a word in here that I think is so important. And I'm just wondering, um, is this part a purposeful part of a leadership development program? And that is, networking. Uh, networking yeah. has been a big part of my career. Uh, I tell people all the time, you know, your network is your net worth. Uh, that's so important to do. But what are your thoughts around that? So in every leadership development program that I've, I've built in my career, there's always been an element of networking to it, uh, especially on the peer level. And mostly because in, in many of the organizations I work with, whether it was, it was Roche at the time when we built the program for their uh, Walgreens, when we built the program there, and even Aspen, when we built the program there, you know, peers are, especially high potential peers are often so much in competition with each other that they're not stopping to figure out a way to learn from each other and how, you know, I may have strengths uh, and, and or, or gaps that my peer may actually have different strengths and gaps in, and we can complement each other. And man, are we more powerful together than apart? And so that's always been sort of a message that I've sent, especially on the, on the, peer, the peer level. I think the further we move up in our career, external networking is even more critical, right? And so like e even at this point, taking on this job at, at Heartland, I've made sure to stay in touch with my previous CHROs or peers that I have who are now CHROs. Uh, and I even have uh, Jim Riley, who's been a fantastic mentor of mine. Uh, he's set up monthly, you know, meetings with me the, you know, so I can continue to learn from him and grow through that, through that relationship. 
and through that networking, you know, before I, 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 uh, I took this job here, I called one of my old peers, who's a CHRO, Kim Sullivan, and just said, Hey, give me some advice. What am I walking into? Right. So like, you know, those, those networks are, are, are super critical and it becomes more difficult further up. We move in our career to find these learning opportunities. So we have to come together as a network to learn from each other. Yeah. I, I uh, appreciate you sharing that because I've talked to uh, several top leaders and it seems like uh, the, the, the higher you go up in the organization, the more challenging it gets. I mean, you're busy, right? Um, and so trying to put things in place. Hey, I want to, I want to just, uh, just pivot here just for a second. I want to talk about high performing teams for a second. Um, <laughs> and, you know, this is all what we've been talking about is all about developing high performing teams. I, I'm curious. Uh, first, my first uh, question to you is, you know, what are some characteristics of a high performing team? How would you, how would yeah. you uh, characterize that? At, you know, I think these are teams that are highly collaborative that have a vision. You know, I always get this visual when I think about a high-performing team of a team sitting in a boat together, all all rowing in the same direction with different color shirts on. (laughs) There's definitely some diversity, some diversity on that boat, but we're all headed in the same direction, you know? And if there's, you know, if there's a shark we're battling along the way, we're all, we're all battling that shark together. You know, Um, that's sort of the, the visual representation for me. Um, I think there's plenty that derail teams along the way. Um, you know, and if, if, if the team is, is strong enough, they can fight off those derailers uh, together versus, versus just depending on a leader to do that. And I also think it takes a leader in a high performing team who, um, uh, you know, knows where to place their ego at appropriate times, uh, you know, so the team can fully engage and um, their strengths can fully come out and they can fully contribute because that's the real power in it. Yeah, that's so good. So someone like for, let's say your teams in the past or your team now, and somebody's listening uh, or somebody that's in a role similar to yours, what are, and I'm, and I'm thinking about some of our listeners that are, you know, they're, they're, they're wanting to work their way up. What are some things that they should or uh well maybe should yeah focus on uh to be part of that high performing team that you're talking about if, when i think about my best teams i have incredible team at, at walgreens incredible team at aspen i have a an awesome team here and i think about what makes them so what made them so great or what makes them so great um just pure humility mm. and and um, the willingness to challenge and the willingness to contribute. Nobody was ever a victim on my best teams. <laughs> my very best teams, nobody was ever a victim of, of you know, the environment, the circumstances. We all, again, we knew where we had to go. And so we were all in it to get there and, and we were humble and and push back appropriately. So that's that's what I think it takes, you know. Humility, challenging, and and, and contribution. I uh, I appreciate you sharing the challenging piece of it because I will tell you that a lot of people, it seems to me that many, let's say many, have a hard time challenging, right? They're like, hey, you know what? This is how it's going to be. 
And I think that I had a coach one time talk to me about the importance of challenging. And then he said that when you challenge the situation, people don't look at it that you're opposed or anything. They look at it like you care. And so I want, mm -hmm. I want people to hear uh, that uh, from you about challenging, because I think a lot of people would like to challenge more, but they just, it's, maybe it's not the courage. Maybe j they just assume that, hey, it's not going to go anywhere. What, what are your thoughts for someone listening around challenging? I think, you know, it just sparked a thought as you were saying that it's not just my willingness to challenge, it's my willingness to be challenged. Mm. And that, that starts with me as a leader, right? So, so I, and it's not natural, you know, when somebody challenges me, like Jersey girl wants to come out, you know what I mean? Like I'm sitting <laughs> on her going, sit back. <laughs> it's okay. It's not fight or flight. <laughs> I just have a different perspective, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I, you know, I have to be willing to hear their feedback, willing to hear their perspective and willing to hear it gracefully and not feel like I'm being threatened in some sort of way, right? But I have to model it. It begins and ends with me as a leader, right? I have to model that. And the more I model it, the more people are gonna do it. Then they'll feel comfortable leaning in and saying, hey, I don't, I don't see it that way, Angela. And here's why, you know? Mm. So I, I think it starts with us as leaders. That is so good. I once heard Brendan Bouchard talk about, uh, he was talking about influence, but you could use it on, on this too. He said that in order to influence, we have to be open to be influenced. And, yeah. you know, you were just talking about how really it starts with me being open to be challenged. Oh man, that is so good. I love that. I love that. Hey, um, I always, I do like to ask this question and before we pivot on to, to, uh, another question that is, you know, there's some people out there that are listening right now that says, you know, I want to be a CHRO. That's like one of my goals. Um, any thoughts or tips around, uh, maybe something you have done or that you did to, uh, get to that point? Yeah. So, I mean, a couple of things. So one is uh, the importance of lateral moves. We mm. used to call it, you know, you weren't climbing a ladder, you were, you were rock climbing. That's how we used to describe career development at Walgreens, the importance of lateral moves. And I don't, especially in organizations that were functionally siloed, uh, you know, the idea of moving over to another function or moving from a manager position in one area within a function to a manager position in another area of the function makes people feel like they're not moving up. And um, all of that rock wall climbing that I personally did in my career set me up for what I'm doing today, you know, and had I just stayed in HR business partner and just stayed in learning and development, I never would have, I never would have had broad enough of a view to be able to do something like this. So I think that's super important. The other thing is uh, I, I did have to make some, I did have to sit on my ego at times. Like I'm not CHRO at Walgreens, right? Like I had to get to a point where I realized I'm probably not gonna be CHRO at Walgreens. You know, I, that's probably not in me, but I can do it for a smaller organization, for an organization a quarter of the size, right? Because it requires a very different skill set that I was ready for and prepared for. Now, maybe in 20 years, I will be ready for a fortune, you know, <laughs> but right now I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not at that point in my career. And I had to be really honest with myself about that. 
And that was super important. But, I, you know, the, the experience I'm getting in this particular role right now, hands down, like, is, is just phenomenal, you know, and I'm, it, you know, it's the, probably one of the best development opportunities I've had in my career doing this. And so that's the other thing, too, like, waiting to be ready for it. <laughs> You'll never we're never ready for it. You know what I mean? It's kind of sucking it up going, oh, I'm really good at that. Not so good at that, but I'm going to try it out, you know? Um, so That's fantastic. Me. Oh my gosh. That is so good. I told uh, you, everybody listening, this was going to be so good. I hope you're taking a lot of notes here. This is fantastic. Hey, we talked about leadership development. I want to talk about leading you. Hey, um, I would, I love to hear I lo what I like to do is I like to pull out if there's anything that you do every day that helps you keep you on track. Can you kind of share maybe a typical day of Angela deputy? Yeah. So probably a couple of things. I mean, I, I have an incredible husband who is my, just my best friend in the world who always grounds me. So that's daily <laughs> being grounded mm -hmm. with that consistency, you know, to, pretty challenging, amazing children, you know, who, who keep me grounded and focused. So I think, you know, my, my family and, and interaction with my family is, is pretty important. When I was, I was reading through the questions and I was thinking daily, I, I don't know that I'm so consistent daily um, as I am probably weekly, mm, okay. <laughs> uh, but you know, daily I do, I do work very hard to move physically move. Uh, that's a regular part of my, of my daily routine. And um, years ago it was running. Um, now running has become a bit of a gallop. Uh, so <laughs> I've tried, uh, I've, you know, moving more towards lifting. They tell me that's better for this age that I'm, that I'm slowly approaching, um, walking. Doug and I have been playing a lot of golf lately and I still stink. Um, yoga, um, anything with like some forgiving, uh, forgiving uh, movement, I'm I'm doing on a on a regular basis. So that's that's pretty consistent. Um, and then on a weekly basis, I think you know the bigger thing is to make sure that I stay focused on my on my spirituality. Um, and sometimes I'll do daily readings and and reminders. Um, but weekly, I do. I I've been attending church just remotely now for the past um, for the past year. And obviously, I, you know, the thing is, I actually like it actually better than going because uh, I can, it's my time. Uh, mm. So I may find that this is just what I do. Uh, but I, I do that, you know, weekly. And it's a, or just a reminder to me that, you know, I have a purpose here and I'm here to serve others in this leadership role. And I, I like to be reminded of that weekly. So, Oh, that's, that's so it. good. That is so good. Oh my God. You know, and for me, uh, a lot of my uh, things I do is it's weekly, right? I have my, you know, Hey, what I want to get accomplished for this week. And so that way, when I start out on Monday, it's already planned out. Of course, you know, being in our roles, it can always change, but we've got it. We've got a plan for that. I love that. And I appreciate uh, you sharing all that. Oh, I was going to say, I do, I do like to drink a lot of Italian red wine too. That keeps me pretty <laughs> grounded just so you know. <laughs> that, will, <laughs> that will definitely help. Oh my God, that is so good. Um, I do like to ask uh, our uh, my guests, and that is, you know, we often get advice throughout our career, but sometimes we have advice. It's just so good. We just find ourselves sharing that with others often. Any advice that you got early on, maybe it was from a family member or, or a colleague that you just find yourself sharing? 
with others? I don't know that I overtly share it because it was pretty harsh. <clears throat> but it was it was I was super super early in my career. I was I was actually uh, making the transition from ops to to uh, to an HR or to a learning and development training and development role at the time. And uh, a beautiful woman, uh, her name's Annette Llewellyn. She was heading ops at Annister at the time, and she said to me, pretty 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 matter of factly, she said, Angela, in organizations, you can either be in operations on the front line serving the customer, or you can be behind the scenes serving the employee. And uh, once you cease to be either, you are not of value to the organization. And the reason that was so important for me to hear is because it really framed up uh, something I've carried with me in human resources my entire career. We are serving function. And sometimes in human resources, we can build processes and procedures to serve ourselves. Mm. And so it's very important. And we, when we make them overcomplicated, uh, you know, very scientific, very academic, um, and they're not practical anymore. And they don't, they don't serve our customer or our employee. And so then we are, we're of no use to the organization. So I've, I've taken that with me and I've carried that. And that's why you always see, like, you'll see that, you know, if I define things, I'll say I'm ops led because that's really it. If it can't be, if it can't be practically utilized by the operator, then it's of no value. That is absolutely fantastic. I love that. <laughs> oh, that is so good. I, uh, man, I could go on and on and on. I, the common word you've used throughout this whole interview is serving. And I, I got to tell you, I get, I got chills here. Um, cause you're, you're right on. Um, hey, let's shift over to the segment where I call it's time to accelerate. I'm going to ask you some fun facts to kind of uh, wind down the show. And the first question I want to ask you is, would you rather read a book or listen to a podcast? Lately, it's been, uh, is listening to books enough? <laughs> yes. No, listening to a book is good too. Lately, yeah, lately I've been listening to a lot of books. I've really been enjoying that. Yeah. Any, any good ones? Oh, but that am out? I supposed to say, I'm supposed to say listening to a podcast, aren't I? <laughs> no, listening to my podcast. <laughs> I'm sorry, Bruce, listening to your podcast, yeah. I'd rather do. <laughs> no, uh, hey, have there been any books that have stood out for you? Because I'm a big book reader and I always like to share if something stood out, any, any stood out over the last year or so? Um, no, I've been listening to these Bill O'Reilly books lately. Yeah. Uh, I, there was, uh, I just read, listened to, uh, killing Jesus and then killing England. I'm a big, uh, revolutionary war fan. So mm. I'm really into his books lately. So. Fantastic. Okay. Um, I always like to know, what are you most grateful for? Oh, my family, my heritage, my culture. Yeah. That's fantastic. Um, what are you most excited about in 2021 as we navigate through this pandemic and try to get to the other side? I am most excited about hugging people again. I am a Jersey <laughs> girl who likes to hug. So. I'm right there with you. Oh my gosh. Give me a hug. <laughs> I love that. I'm right there with you. Oh my gosh. I'm so ready. And it seems like a lot of um, 
organizations are starting to put together conferences for the uh, fourth quarter of 2021. So I think we're going to see or get to experience a lot of that. Hey, yeah. what energizes you? I think it's the opportunity to build. That's what's been so exciting too about this role. I just, I onboarded um, a new generalist for, for us this morning. And, and, you know, I said, trust me, there's no structure, like you're building it. So, and that's what's so exciting. Like we get to build it from scratch. That's really energizing to me. Oh man, I love that. Yeah. I've talked to several uh, different HR leaders that have said something similar that they just like that it energizes them so much to be able to bring someone on and really create, create that experience Mm -hmm. saying, Hey, uh, we're with you all the way. So I love that. Oh my gosh. Um, Okay. Here's my last question for you, Angela. And uh, the question is this, Angela, 10 years older is knocking at your door and you're going to go answer that door. What's she going to tell you? <laughs> uh, you you should have drank that glass of wine <laughs> because you didn't lose any weight. <laughs> That's what she's tell. <laughs> I love it. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Drink the wine. Um, you you're not are- going to lose the weight. You're definitely driving in the leadership lane. It has been an absolute honor to have you on the show. If someone wanted to uh, connect with you, what what would be the best way that that they could connect? Yeah, so I'm on LinkedIn. So that's that's probably one of the best ways. Uh, yeah, LinkedIn is probably the best way to connect with me. Yep, on on uh, with uh, Auto. Yes, with Auto. You know, like we're actually going through a rebranding pro- project, so they're going to retake my picture. So I, Auto might not be on there, but um, <laughs> yeah, he's on there now. So hurry fast. Yeah, hurry fast. Oh my God. <laughs> Listen, I appreciate you coming on and just sharing your, your wisdom. I know that there's a lot of people that are listening. Uh, they're going to get a lot out of this. And so I just want to say thank you. Uh, appreciate you coming on. I appreciate your friendship. Thank you. You're an incredible interviewer, Bruce. So thank you. This was probably one of the the best podcasts. So thank you. Awesome. I can't wait to share this. I'll talk to you later. Yeah, take care. Bye.